This is In the News from the Irish Times. I'm Connor Pope. There's been a lot of heavy news this week, so we wanted to finish on something a bit lighter. And it's something we've been meaning to talk about for a good while on In the News. It's the remarkable rise of the NFT. NFTs, a type of digital art that is all the rage. But could the next Picasso or Van Gogh come from a digital creator? First they were up, uh, then they were down, and now NFTs are roaring back to record highs. Nah, it's not a scam. It's the real deal. You can you can really make some money, definitely with NFTs. The technology behind the NFT is a little complicated, but. Luckily, today I'm talking to Patrick Frain, who has developed a deep understanding of how the whole thing works. Okay, so I'm going to have to preface all this by saying I barely understand this, even after researching it. And occasionally I'm just going to hold my head in my hands as I try to explain. So, what are NFTs? So, NFTs, it stands for non-fungible tokens. So it's connected to the world of crypto. Cryptocurrencies are fungible, which means they're completely, they're like a a euro coin is completely the same as another euro coin. Non-fungible tokens uh, mean that it is completely unique and therefore NFTs has been used a lot for digital art and they're all stored in the blockchain. They've been used as a way to kind of monetize digital arts so that what an NFT is basically is a sort of deed of ownership or a receipt saying you own this piece of digital art that would otherwise be completely copyable uh, like all digital artists. Does that make sense, Connor? Sort of. But now without wanting to wreck your head or indeed wreck our listeners' heads, you say that this is stored on the blockchain. So in a couple of sentences, Patrick, what's a blockchain? Okay. So the blockchain is a distributed database that basically stuff is stored on. And the big difference between how blockchains work and how the traditional internet works is that blockchains contain a complete record of the history of the thing that they're related to. So every single transaction you do on the blockchain is kind of stored within the blockchain. It's apparently completely unhackable, can't be controlled by any authority because it's widely distributed across servers all over the world. And that's as far as I go with the blockchain. Like if you had a tech expert here, they might be able to explain how it works more efficiently, but uh, they would also probably get into words that neither of us can understand. Maybe we could move on to talking about NFTs in a more general way. This time last year, I probably never heard the three letters NFT put together. And even now I'm struggling to get my head around what they mean. So where do they come from and how long have they been a thing? So the first recorded one seems to be around 2015. And the first one of note was created in 2017 by a crowd called Larva Labs. And they created a series of kind of images, kind of very kind of cheap looking images called CryptoPunks. So what are these CryptoPunks, you might ask? Well, they're actually 10,000 unique 24 by 24 cartoon characters, more or less, that were created by an algorithm stored in a smartphone. So one of those CryptoPunks sold for like about 9 million euros there. So in the last few years, the last two years in particular, a, a kind of gold rush has kind of started in the area. The average price of an NFT is now $12,000 on average At least one NFT has sold for a million dollars or more every day 
in the month of that set of nine CryptoPunk NFTs sold for $17 million, which was roughly double what people had expected. Now, like artists were toying with it in a kind of more conceptual art way, whereas I think a lot of the people who are into it now are into it in a more speculative gold rush kind of way. So eight years ago, this thing didn't exist anywhere. And then it started to get bigger and bigger. And I think over the course of the pandemic and successive lockdowns, it really came into its own. So do we know how big the NFT market is today? Apparently, complete sales last year totaled 24.9 billion. So it's it's massive. 24.9 billion? <laughs> yeah. So it's it's massive. And there's a kind of interesting thing going on. Like when I kind of read around it and I talk to people about it, I think an awful lot of people got really into cryptocurrencies in the last 10 years. You've probably encountered crypto bros over the last while. And I think the same people are into this. And there are kind of interesting sociological analysis of that, you know, like I think what's happening is there's a whole generation of younger people who can't really afford traditional investments, can't necessarily even think of buying houses. And then this kind of speculative frenzy happens and they can get into that. So it's a very untraditional speculator. Like it's not, whereas an awful lot of the big investors are involved in cryptocurrencies and NFTs. There's also a whole realm of new youngsters who've never been involved in any sort of speculation before. And I know you're not a financial analyst, so I, I, I don't know how comfortable you'd be answering this question. But if you can't afford to buy a house, should you really be spending thousands of euros on something as intangible as an NFT? Like this is the question with all kind of asset bubbles. So I think the top of the market, Beeple sold his artwork. This is an, an they have funny names as well. <laughs> the big artworks of names like Bored Ape and Beeple and Crypto Punk. Um, but the biggest sale was a guy called Beeple sold digital artwork called First 5,000 Days and it sold for 69 million. Its starting price was just $100, but a record 22 million people watched online as it reached its astonishing price, making Beeple one of the top three most valuable living artists. Which is insane. Yeah. Um, but an awful lot of this stuff is like going for less. So what's hap- if, you look at the, if you look at NFT hashtags on Twitter, you see all these people trying to launch series of NFT artworks. Last week, I launched my very first NFT collection. Why? Because I've been intrigued by NFTs for a while, a few people suggested that I do it, and I just wanted to try it out. I think and you can see them starting at nothing, giving them away for free, so people kind of maybe get free ones hoping that they're going to be the next Bored Ape sequence. Mm. Like, there's a kind of collector's mentality too. In some ways it's like the traditional art world, but in other ways it's more like people collecting baseball cards or Pokemon, um, yeah. except they're very, they can be very expensive. Pokemon and very expensive, which I believe there are very expensive Pokemon too. So it, like, it, it fits into a very internet-y culture too. I suppose one of the first really high-profile NFTs sold for big money, or at least one of the ones that I first came across, was Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter's first tweet. Now, I have a screen grab of that tweet, and I got it for nothing. And somebody else paid 3 million euros for that tweet. Yeah. Who's the smart one there? 
Patrick, apart from Jack Dorsey, who managed to cash it in so handsomely. Are you hoping I will go, you are the smart one? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it didn't cost me anything. And I effectively have exactly the same thing on my desktop. What they would argue, like I I think time will bear this out, but what they will argue is that that's the equivalent of if you bought Action Comics number one, the first comic that Superman appeared in back in the 40s, that's going to go for an awful lot of money. However, there are reprints of Action number one that are more or less identical, but which aren't, weren't published back in the 40s. So they'd argue that what they're doing is they're creating an original and then everything else is the equivalent of having a postcard of the Mona Lisa or a print of the Mona Lisa on the wall. Now, I... Whether that becomes true, like I think there's some very interesting things happening that maybe are beyond us because we don't live in the worlds of online gaming and the metaverse. So they're also betting a little bit on a future where we're living more online. Um, mm-hmm. People who play online games will buy things in the game using real money. I'm sure if you know any youngsters who play these games, they will occasionally come to you and ask mm-hmm. them to use your credit card to buy something stupid or what we think is stupid, but they think <laughs> like this is the sociological argument. They will argue now that, oh, well, for them, it's very real. So they're betting on a future where we're very, very much more online. I think there's a dystopian future in which absolutely everything is on the blockchain and everything we do online is monetized in some way. And I think some of the big investment houses in America are kind of betting on that future. And they're calling it Web 3.0, which is a future in which absolutely everything has a monetary value and every interaction we have online will have a winner and a loser, which sounds horrendous to me. But this is the type of stuff that's brewing in the background. So in the foreground, I think what you have are, and if you look at some of those NFT hashtags on Twitter or somewhere else, and you look at the things people are selling, there's just some awful pictures being, people are trying to sell for money and and they're not all succeeding. And they're all in it in the same way God loved them that a lot of people were into investment properties in 2004 or five. The time for making money is probably gone for those people. But at the same time, there may be an asset at core that exists in another decade. Does that make sense, Connor? Because I, even as I said it, it didn't seem like it made sense. Do you know what the, the thing that, 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 that I heard most there is the time has probably passed. So I, I feel like for me and you, it's too late to hop on this particular bandwagon. But it's not too late for the likes of Paris Hilton because she's big in the NFT world and she's a lot of these ape-themed NFTs up for grabs. And then even more bizarrely, you have John Terry, the former Chelsea captain, and he's in that space and he's been touting NFTs from a range called Ape Kids Football Club. And he's the head coach of the Ape Kids Football Club. So what's the deal with the apes here? Why are they so linked to this world? It's simply because one of the most successful series was called Bored Ape. And this is like, it, I mean, it's like all terrible art. It's really derivative. So Bored Ape was maybe, you could argue it's original because it was the first to do it. But all it is is a series of pictures of more or less the same ape with slight variations. It's like a cartoon image. And they're all technically original. But I mean, the the difference is that it's the same ape. But in this one, he's got an eyeglass. He's got a monocle. In this one, he's got a mustache. In this one, he's got a spliff. Um, and they're all like barely different from each other. They all look like just cheap kind of cartoon art pieces to me. But it was one of the first ones to break through. And therefore, everyone who wants to make money goes, how about Happy Monkey? (laughs) They invent something that looks really like Bored Ape and they launch it and it doesn't go anywhere because that's not really how these kind of speculative bubbles work. 
Yeah, there was the, actually Paris Hilton, not to not to, to go on about her, but she was on Jimmy Fallon uh, not long ago. Welcome back to the show and congrats on getting married. Yes, this is a big deal. Yeah. It happened. Yeah. And she brought out her NFT, which was an ape. This is your this is That's your mine. ape. Yeah. We debuted. It's really cool. Like the hat, the shades. And what? Sick. How did you pick? Because you can pick your, your, your ape. Yes, I was going through a lot of them, and I was like, I want something that like, kind of reminds me of me. And then Jimmy Fallon had an ape of his own. But he, that ape was wearing sunglasses. Yours is so cool. I love the red heart sunglasses. I love the captain hat. It reminded me of me a little bit because I wear striped shirts. And that was the only distinguishing factor between these two apes. One was wearing sunglasses, one wasn't. So, like, am I like a 95-year-old man wondering about the merits of Facebook in 2005 here? Like, I just can't get my head around the value of that. Dude, look at us. They look like they could be friends. They're buddies. (laughs) So, in that instance, what was different about those apes to an an ape an idiot like me might launch is that one of them is owned by Jimmy Fallon and the other is owned by Paris Hilton, (laughs) which is, like, there is a huge celebrity kind of element to the bubble, and they can definitely, if you you had any sort of profile, like, you you could see as well that um, certain magazines, when writing about it, made NFTs, and I think the New York Times did one, and those sold for hundreds of thousands. Say we were both rich billionaires, Connor, and I had a mm. Picasso and I was going to sell you that Picasso. Those artworks tend to live in things called free ports, which are at yeah. the, they're kind of tax free areas around airports and train stations around the world. It's climate controlled. If we're doing it as an investment, neither of us probably have ever seen that Picasso. It just sits there as a speculative asset. And people who are into NFTs genuinely think it's an interesting space will go well what's the difference between that where you can barely see the artwork anyway except in some form of imitation version or an nft yeah that's a really good point because as you say in those free ports the art is almost as intangible and virtual as a string of code on the blockchain because you know you don't get to see it touch it hold it it's just something that you own and there's that sense of perhaps superiority that you can afford to own this thing. Is that sense of superiority evident amongst collectors in the world of NFT? Definitely. Like what's interesting as well is that there is a culture around it and it is connected to that cryptocurrency culture. It's connected to a very kind of high paced capitalist culture where um, you can kind of almost see this thing, like I was saying earlier about a generation who can't look at a normal life, can't look at, okay, I'm going to get a pension and a house. So instead they go for kind of, you can almost say they go for kind of pipe dream, crazy, fast paced versions of capitalism where there are, I am going to be a winner and everyone else is going to be a loser. And there is a bit of superiority when you see that space. You know, they don't, mm. they think that if we're skeptical about it, we just don't understand it. And there might be some truth in that. I think it's also true that there's an awful lot of bad art being sold and some people are going to end up holding that when the kind of tide goes out of the market. Coming up, how do you make an NFT and just what are they doing to the planet? 
Now, you mentioned that the New York Times had created an NFT of its own that it sold for hundreds of thousands of euros. And I know that The Economist magazine created uh, an NFT based around an, an illustration that they'd used to accompany an article about NFTs and they sold it for $410,000. Now, we obviously, me and you, Patrick, don't have the heft of The New York Times or The Economist. But if we wanted to create an NFT, what would we need to do? Like, is it a complicated process? I looked into maybe doing it to accompany the piece I did. And I realized firstly, you'd have to get a cryptocurrency wallet. Then you'd have to go to a market. Uh, you'd have to link it to a blockchain. You have to go to a market. There's an awful lot of steps involved with doing it. So you'd have to firstly do that. And then you have to pay to mint. But that's what they say when you create an NFT. To mint an NFT, you have to pay gas charges. Um, I'm not sure what you have they... To pay which? They're called gas charges, which fits in with the environmental problem. Um, you basically pay to create it. So it's not cost free. And when I was speaking to people about this, they do point out that unless you actually sell it for a bit of money, it's kind of, it can cost you money to make NFTs. Not a lot, but unless you're going to sell it. Most of those NFTs, if you look at what, what these young books are trying to create and trying to sell, like most of those are not selling because it is a gold rush now. So what's happening is if you are Jimmy Fallon or you are LeBron James, obviously some of your fans are going to try and buy that thing and that'll kind of up the price of it. And maybe like you, you can see the New York Times will have enough followers that they have enough rich people who follow them who are going to be interested. Maybe the Irish Times does. <laughs> so maybe we could try it. But I, I do worry about the environmental side too, because I was reading somewhere recently that like one transaction on the blockchain is using as much energy as a, the average house in America uses in a month or something something insane. Can you explain to me how a string of numbers, which gives you virtual ownership of something that is intangible, can possibly be bad for the environment? Like none of this stuff is actually real. Except it kind of is real because this is what we forget about the internet. <laughs> like the internet, we say it's, we use words like cloud, like it's God in the sky, but it's basically a load of servers all over the world. And I don't, I'm not tech savvy enough to understand why, but apparently the way the blockchain works is that you have to do a lot of computation on a load of different computers distributed. And apparently that's very energy intensive, more energy intensive than normal internet stuff. Um, and it is apparently a huge deal environmentally. I had an idea because I was trying to think of ways I could make my fortune with through NFTs. And you mentioned copyright there. Would there be anything to stop me taking the meme of the guy who fell on the ice that time? It's still dangerous for Dublin pedestrians. But this and turning it into an NFT that I could then sell. So what's happening a lot now is there's an awful lot of an awful lot of the opportunists are stealing art. So there's this big problem of people who are genuinely serious digital artists who are producing really interesting art online have nothing to do with NFTs because they think it's a stupid fad. But then they go on to OpenSea or any of these. OpenSea would be one of the markets for it. And they see that somebody is selling their artwork as an NFT. Um, apparently they can get it taken down, but it's a really long, laborious, annoying process. So what the cryptocurrency people like about this space is that there's no intermediaries. There's no, uh, 
there's no oversight over it. You know, they say it's like a libertarian free-for-all, but that also means that there's an awful lot of bad actors in the space. Like mm. yourself, if you stole that <laughs> image, if you, if you stole that man slipping on ice. Somebody, uh, does RTE own that because it was on RTE? Yeah, well, could I, could I suggest that to RTE then? Could RTE monetize that? Because they need the money. <laughs> so, yeah, they could. And actually, people are doing things like that. But I think the problem at the moment is the environmental question is is a big one. You know, it seems to be a very environmentally costly process. Like the main reason I didn't start. OK, actually, there was two reasons I didn't make an NFT when I was doing the piece. One was because I had ethical issues with it. But the other was it was very, very complicated. And so the ethical <laughs> issues <laughs> came to the fore of my head. Um, but no, but actually, there are serious ethical issues that mean we probably shouldn't be encouraging people to do this. Like, I think anyone listening is probably going, man, maybe I'll make loads of money doing this, that or the other. And I think the only way they would is if they have a big profile anyway, or they are an actually interesting artist. I think it is a gold rush. I think in the same way, um, there's an awful lot of people who don't really know much about what they're doing, investing in cryptocurrencies and watching that go up and down and up and down. There's an interesting cultural element. They're telling each other that this is the future of everything, you know. Um, and if you look at the rhetoric around NFTs and the rhetoric around cryptocurrencies, there's a lot of boosterism and they don't like hearing criticism. But most of those people aren't going to make money on this is my prediction. Okay. So and speaking of predictions, can you give me another prediction? What future do you think NFTs will have? Where will this world take us? Will we all be trading in NFTs in the metaverse before Christmas? Probably not before Christmas. I do think that the blockchain, for better or worse, probably has a huge future in terms of how the the internet works because it is so monetizable that we live in a capitalist culture and it will, the blockchain and different uses for the blockchain will definitely exist, I think. And they, they talk about making it more environmentally friendly. I'll believe it when you see it. But in terms of the art that's happening at the moment, for the most part, it's not serious art. It won't be. In, I don't believe it'll be in the art books, except as maybe a curiosity, like like the tulip mania 200 years ago. Like it might be, oh, this is a fascinating thing that kind of like Ireland's housing bubble in 2004, <laughs> 2005. Wow, yeah. what a fascinating time. People thought houses were worth this or right now. Um, so the, it's like any speculative mania. It's not the, the worth of the thing is not represented in, in the money that's being paid. A lot of big thinkers are putting everything on the idea of Web 3.0, which is a kind of a web that's built on top of blockchains. They're presenting it as a golden age when we're, when every normal person can make money from the internet. But like everything else capitalistic, it's going to be very hierarchical and there's going to be uh, middle men and women making a lot more money than ordinary people can make. And, and part of me hates the idea of an internet where everything is transactional. Much as I like the idea of artists and writers being able to make money, I think the downsides of making everything transactional are worse. So there's big thinky futures in this, but I don't think the future is in pictures of happy monkeys smoking pipes. Patrick Frayne, thank you very much for talking to me. You've made the whole world just that little bit clearer and slightly more confusing. Thanks. That's, that's how I feel. I feel like as I'm speaking, I'm confusing myself more. That's all for this week. Thanks to Patrick Frayne for making the world of NFTs so much clearer. This episode was produced by Declan Conlon and Suzanne Brennan. In the News will be back on Monday.